Good morning. <clears throat> Good to see you guys all here this morning. Uh, you, you probably noticed I got wise and I didn't read the scripture this morning. So that was really, really smart of me. Some of you know what I'm talking about with that. But <clears throat> um, well, we began last week um, by talking about New Year's resolutions and really this desire, I think, that we have to become better people. And that's kind of usually behind our New Year's resolutions. And, and what, what is it that be, helps us become better people? Well, I think when we look at New Year's resolutions, the list is almost identical between all of us, right? Um, the things that we usually think about, um, <clears throat> maybe even a saying that we, we maybe go by at times, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, or go with girls or do, or and maybe it's not that list, but um, it's some of those types of things, right? Um, usually includes treating each other well, usually includes um, eating better, right, or exercising, all those types of things. We just, um, it's really kind of a pretty generic list that we come up with each and every year. Uh, and yet, how do those kind of lists translate to the Christian life? Um, and that was really the conversation. Is God only after generic things for our lives? Just a, a generic um, list of good things? Um, and not that God doesn't want us to be good moral people. That's not, not what I'm saying. But is that all that he wants from us? Do we, does he want us to grow in our walk with him? Not just simply by being moral, but does he have particular things that that are unique to you and to me um, to do, right? That's a really important question. Are there particular things that he's interested in? Maybe something that, that even I or even you, I mean, we're unique individuals. We've been created with all these gifts and abilities and, and different relationships with different people and that God could take advantage of some of these very unique things as individuals, to, to talk through with us what we might be able to do for him with those types of things, right? Not just a list of morals, but some actual plans um, as unique as maybe even our fingerprint on our fingers, kind of what we got into last week. Beyond being good or being nice, are there particular things that God wants me to do? And that's what the sermon series um, is all about. Marked, called by the Savior is the name of the sermon series, um, that Scripture seems to paint this picture of a life with God, again, not as just being nice, but God calls us to a journey with Him, that God calls us to actually do specific things, that He might even be the good shepherd, right, who's shepherding His sheep, um, <clears throat> asking me to do things, asking you to do things based on who He has created us to be. You ever thought about those types of things? We looked at quite a few stories in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, and then we seem to see this pattern that repeats itself over and over again. And you can look at Adam and Eve, you can look at Noah, you can look at Moses and David and Samuel and Mary and Joseph from the Christmas story and Philip from the book of Acts. On and on and on, this list goes where God leads, again, more like a good shepherd with his sheep, providing not just a list of morals, but a step-by-step -step instruction at times to do this or that. So if God truly leads this way, how do we best live into that kind of life? 
And last week we talked about the first step has got to be belief. We've got to believe that God actually works that way. That God actually um, is someone <laughs> that we follow. That someone that calls us to do things. Um, someone who might even give us specific prompts. We're never going to follow those prompts if we actually don't believe that God works that way, right? You got to believe. You got to got to believe that God wants more than just morals, more than just being a good person, but at times he, he's going to speak to you. He's going to nudge you to do something specific. And to be clear, we aren't talking about determinism. We aren't talking about predestination. We're not talking about something that's robotic, where our lives are somehow controlled by God, um, and he's taking all the shots, and he's telling you to do this, and this, and this, and this, and and we don't have any choice but to do what he calls us to do. Scripture actually shows us quite the opposite of that life. If you're actually reading through the stories, right, that God makes a request <laughs> and is interesting. Almost more often than not, the request is either ignored or something is misunderstood and the people end up doing other things, actually. Do you really think about the stories Truth is that I'm not the only one who didn't get the message from God on the first go-around. I'm actually in good company. And really a great example of that, we could just start at the beginning with Abraham. God comes to Abraham, he calls Abraham, and he says, you know, Abraham, I'm going to make you into this great nation, Genesis chapter 12. And your descendants, they're going to be numerous, more numerous than the sand on the sea, seashore, more numerous than the stars in the sky. Um, it's going to happen. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And then after a while, you know, Abraham and Sarah, they still haven't had any kids. They're holding on to that promise, right? And what starts to kind of creep into <laughs> Moses's or Abraham's life? Hmm, maybe it's not my kids, that he's going to bless. Maybe it's a servant in my household, Eliza, maybe. Someone else that God's going to bless. But it's going to come up through my household, my servants, because I can't have any kids. <laughs> and then we see in Genesis 15, God saying, no, that's not the way it's going to be. This man is not <laughs> going to be the one that I'm going to build this great nation out of. Um, it's going to come from your flesh and blood, Abraham. And then you see uh, Sarah getting into the action, right? Sarah's wondering how all this promise of God is going to come together. We still don't have any descendants. How in the world can God pull this off? Maybe we, we misheard the plan. So what does she come up with? A great plan, right? Genesis 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, what's her, her name at that point in the story, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. So why don't you go sleep with my slave? Perhaps I can build a family through her. <laughs> now, did you think that was actually God's plan? Hey, I'm going to build a nation and I'm going to have... <laughs> I mean, that's crazy stuff, right? But isn't that what happens at times? When we don't understand what God's telling us to do, we start making stuff up. And, and the crazy part of this is that Abraham says, yeah, yeah, let's do it. 
what, <laughs> what is going on in their brains, right? So, <laughs> and we saw how that turned out when Ishmael was born. All sorts of trouble came to Abraham and Sarah and the rest of the world for even now, right? I mean, look at the life of Joseph. Another example, Joseph in the Old Testament. He was called by God to save his family from, really the whole country, from this huge famine that was coming, right? I mean, maybe he didn't know that at the very beginning, but God's given him pieces, and God sent this, these dreams to Joseph. And what did he do with the dreams? Well, he tells his brothers. Listen to the story, Genesis 37, starting in verse 6. It says, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood up while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to me. What's he telling his brothers? <laughs> hey, I had a dream that, that God's going to bless me and you guys are all going to bow down to my feet. In what world is, does he not think that his brothers are going to get ticked off at him, right? That's a crazy story. Was it really God's plan for Joseph to go to his brothers and kind of rub it in their faces a little bit? Well, it's part of the story, right? But it really doesn't take a brain doctor to figure out that you're getting yourself into some real trouble when you do that, right? How many of you have ever had brothers? You still have brothers, probably. <laughs> That's not a good idea. And the truth is that God used it. God, God made it work, but it sure was a rough route being sold off to slavery, going that direction. Do you, do you ever think that some of the stories in the Bible weren't 100% scripted by God, but it actually was God fixing some of the problems that were happening? Does that ever occur to you guys? Or do you think that it was all, they followed the letter of the law perfectly and and... I think some of them are plan B, in fact. <laughs> I mean, look at the story of Moses. Moses was called by God not just to be nice, but to save God's people from slavery, right? This was a call of God and on his life. He might not have known it in the beginning, but we see it creeping up into his life. Early on in his life, Moses, um, seeing some things that are happening around him, he acts, right? He takes matters into his own hands, and he tries to save his own people, right? Listen to this. In Exodus chapter 2, starting verse 11, it says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were. He watched them at their hard labor, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And so what does he do? Looking this way and that. That's not usually a good part of the story, right? Uh-oh, what am I going to do here? Uh, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian, and he buried him in the sand right? Now, do you think that actually was God's plan for Moses' life? For him to kill that guy? And because of that, what happened? Moses had to run off, and he's in the middle of nowhere for 40 years because of that scene. He didn't get another chance to follow God's lead until the burning bush, right? Do you think that was God's plan or was that God trying to redirect the plan? Even when, even then, you see Moses, he's making up excuses. 
I'm not the one that you should be calling. You should be calling someone else, right? I've been there. Any of you guys been there before? There are lots of stories in Scripture that, that show that, you know, God has these specific plans. He, that's the way he works. He calls people to do things. And sometimes there's some misunderstandings that take place along the way. They're misunderstanding. They're, they're, they're not understanding exactly how this is going to get pulled off, this promise of God. Or at least they're taking matters into their own hands, right? And yes, it worked out. But, <laughs> there's a big but. And really, aren't you glad that we serve this God who acts so graciously and patiently with us when he's calling us and we're going, hey, how about you sleep with my servant? <laughs> that he holds, holds to the course, that he somehow makes this plan come back around again. Aren't you thankful for a God like that, that failure on our part just doesn't mean God's plans, God's promises are going to be thwarted? Now, truth is that sometimes missing the boat means you miss the opportunity altogether. True? That God adjusts the plan, and you're no longer a part of the picture. We see, pictures, we see stories like that in Scripture. Look at Adam and Eve. The plan in Genesis chapter 2 was to have this amazing paradise. And what were Adam and Eve's part in this? They were supposed to work, work the garden, right? Take care of it. And enjoy this unbelievable relationship with God. This, this presence of God in their life in the garden, hanging out with them. Oh, and, oh, and they weren't supposed to be, uh, they were supposed to eat everything in the garden except the fruit on one tree, right? The one right in the middle of the garden. And and yet, Adam and Eve, they messed up the plan, right? They blew up the plan, and there was a cost to it. They got kicked out of the plan. We all got kicked out of the plan. And now the plan involved someone else coming along to pay the price to fix the problem that was created there, right? Namely, Jesus. So sometimes people miss what God wants them to do. Is that true? You think that's true? <laughs> or do we all hear him in, in stereo sound? And, I mean, it happens. And yet God is so gracious and good and faithful to his promises. In fact, in places in Scripture like Mark 8, Jesus was often talking about people having eyes but not seeing having ears but failing to hear. And he wasn't talking about physical ears and physical eyes, was he? He was talking about spiritual things, being able to follow what God was trying to say, what God was trying to get them to do, what God was trying to get us to do, right? How do we grow spiritual eyes? How do we grow spiritual ears? <laughs> Isn't that a really good question? As we talked about last week, belief is a huge part of that, believing that God is at work. If we don't believe that God's at work, we're not even going down this road, right? I think part of the trouble of seeing in Jesus' time was that it had been so long since they had clearly seen God at work. And so they just kind of lost faith. 
they lost belief that God could be at work. And one has to ask the question, was God not working or were they not seeing? Right? Was God not working or were they just not believing that he could work? So they weren't even watching. They weren't even paying attention. And last week we talked about how we seem to develop eyes to see God at work over time to some degree. Not that we don't have the Spirit work in our lives, but sometimes it takes experiences, um, some time spent with the Spirit and how, learning how He works to better cooperate. And especially looking back on our experiences and maybe seeing how God worked back then and then recognizing maybe those are the kinds of things that God's going to be talking about in the future, right? So just kind of processing through, trying to grow in our understanding of the Spirit, our understanding of how He works, and just trusting that He is at work, paying attention, listening, hearing. I, I pray often, Lord, give me eyes to see what you want me to see today. Lord, give me ears to hear what you want me to hear. Help me to be about the things that you want me to be about today. Those are good prayers, right? And I think when we look at Scripture, we can certainly see a process of figuring out what God wants us to do. And even getting better at seeing what God wants us to do. You see that actually in the three characters I already looked at, Abraham and Joseph and Moses, they certainly got better at cooperating with God, right? As they went along in their story, they, you don't see Abraham <laughs> blowing it quite as big, trying to start God's promises by, you know, <laughs> grabbing a servant. Um, we see Joseph and Mo Moses and Abraham. God is using them in unbelievable ways, right? They're better cooperating because they're getting to this place where they understand how God works. They can kind of see, they can kind of hear what he's doing. Now, I think it's even helpful to look at Jesus' life. Even he, Jesus, seemed to make progress in, in this, as he grew in his life, as he grew into his ministry. I mean, it's, it's weird to think about Jesus growing and understanding what the Spirit's trying to get him to do. But, but think about this. Jesus was born a baby. How much do babies really understand? And then he's growing up, right? He grew up and going through this process of getting older and learning to be uh, more what God the Father had in mind, right? We don't see in Jesus' story that God sends his son to earth and he saves the world in a single day. That's not part of the story. There is a reason why God has given us Jesus' story to kind of see how this develops, I think, even. I mean, does it surprise you any that Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old? Where was he those 30 years? Have you ever thought about that? The truth is that we don't know a lot about his growing up years, it? And that probably tells us something, that there probably wasn't too, too dramatic of stories there. They probably would be included, right? But just the fact that he waited 30 years to tell us something about ourselves, 
it takes time. It, probably lots of experience in following God to fully get there. <laughs> Jesus waited 30 years. What should we do? When we're struggling to follow the Lord, when we just don't understand what's going on, we, we're struggling to trust him, what should we do? <laughs> How about be patient with ourselves? Jesus took 30 years, right? Don't get so down on yourselves when you don't figure it out. <laughs> How to follow God on the first day. Can I get an amen for that? I think that's an important thing for us to understand. This doesn't happen overnight. Truly, when we think of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we tend to focus on his birth, death, and resurrection, and we don't tend to look at the process and the preparation that Jesus went through into his ministry, into the, onto the cross, right? It really is hard for us to get our heads around. Jesus spent 33 years growing and preparing to complete the Father's work. Does that just feel weird to call Tell, talk about Jesus in a growing kind of way. Jesus grew. So I just want to take a few moments this morning. Let's just look at it. Look with me at some of the moments early on in Jesus' life. We don't have a ton of those moments, but there are some moments. Let's just see what we might see. Passage, the first passage we're going to look at is in second chapter, the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. There's this glimpse of Jesus when he was 12 years old. 12 years old. That's not very old, right? Not even a teenager yet. Twelve years old, Jesus. Read with me at Luke 2, verse 41. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. <laughs> Thinking it was, he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. So let's not get too hard on Mary and Joseph here as parents. It's like, why weren't they paying attention to their kids? <clears throat> but really, I mean, everyone is going to the festival. Everyone. So the whole family, the whole community, the whole, all the relatives and friends are on that road. So of course they're, the kids are over here messing around, over there messing around, having some fun, and... They're hanging out with other people, right? It was a family adventure. So don't take it too hard on Mary and Joseph, but it says in verse 45, when they did not find him, <laughs> they had to go back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, <laughs> they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So what do we see from this 12-year-old Jesus? Well, he obviously had some handle of Scripture, right? He has some knowledge. He's having these conversations with teachers, right? And obviously kind of pretty good conversations with teachers. Was he not? I mean, he was sitting there with them. He's listening to them. He's asking them questions. And he's been doing it for three days. <laughs> so we learned something about 12-year-old Jesus. He was interested in learning, right? He wanted to know more about the Scriptures. He was sitting there quizzing these teachers, trying to get 
a handle, a better handle. He's asking questions. He's listening, right? And he'd already been learning quite a bit along the way. I think we could read that into the story. There's no way that he could have just shown up at the temple and had no knowledge of Scripture and was able to do what he was doing, right? He had some knowledge of Scripture. He had been processing through Scripture before this experience. Verse 47, everyone heard him was amazed at his understanding. That takes some effort, right? Some growing in, in knowledge and understanding in his, in his answers, right? And we aren't surprised by that. It's Jesus, <laughs> right? But one thing that I don't see in Jesus, in this story at least, he wasn't showing off his wisdom. He wasn't trying to make the teachers look dumb, right? He wasn't lording over his wisdom. And what do we see him doing? He was seeking out to get a better understanding of scriptures by asking questions listening to the answers that he received, right? And yet, in this conversation, we see him sitting with the teachers. We see him, it's like a mutual experience with the teachers. It seemed that those who he was conversing with also had this desire to learn, right? By listening and discussing God's word. Even with this 12-year-old kid, the teachers weren't just teaching. They were listening to his answers, right? They were impressed by his answers. They were impressed by his understanding of what was going on, right? I mean, do you think we can learn from each other about God? Do you think those are helpful conversations when we're sitting with each other, discussing Scripture, discussing the ways of God, this practice that we see Jesus doing, listening and responding processing. That's good stuff, right? Helps us grow. And the point here isn't that Jesus was an expert among experts, I don't think. But it truly was the young and the old together in community learning from another, one another. They were working through Scripture. They were thinking about it. They were processing through, trying to get a better handle on things. And isn't that a great model for us? As we get together, to continue to process through, well, what does Scripture say about this? How do we understand God and the way he works in this situation? And how important would it be to do it with our 12-year-olds, <laughs> right? Have you noticed that kids have some pretty deep insights about God? That ever happened to you? It happens to me all the time. It's like, well... They, they think things are just perfectly clear <laughs> about certain things, and they'll just pipe up. It's like, wow, that was deeply insightful, right? God's working in people's lives, and as we interact with them, I think that's an important way to be growing in our understanding of what God, God how he works, right? Just as Jesus did not develop his wisdom and knowledge in isolation, he sought out the wisdom of others, I think we can find these avenues of growing in our spiritual development, wrestling with hard questions, thinking about the ways of God, coming alongside of each other, right? We're all in different stages of life. We're all in different stages of spiritual life. How important is it to 
process through things together. True? And in spending time with these people who were in different stages of life and different levels of understanding, Luke writes a few verses later in verse 52 this incredible statement. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Whoa. Did you catch that? Jesus grew. Jesus grew. <laughs> Jesus didn't just physically grow, right? Wasn't just mentally grow, but he was growing spiritually. Between the time he was born and the time he enters into the ministry and eventually to the cross, he's growing. True? In fact, this must have been the first time that anything like this had happened. You see the reaction of the parents, right? Verse 48 says, When his parents saw him in the temple with the teachers, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Well, obviously they didn't, <laughs> right? This was the first time that it happened. And yet they didn't understand what he was saying to them. This was not an everyday occurrence up to this point. Something had changed in Jesus' life. Jesus seems to be growing in his knowledge, in his experience. And although we don't have any other examples of Jesus' childhood, we do know that he returned to Nazareth with both of his parents, and he submitted himself to their authority. Verse 51, it says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So Jesus was still just this 12-year-old boy. That's what he was. He wasn't running around doing crazy stuff. Not yet. He was growing in God. He was growing in his relationships with, under, with other people. He was growing in his understanding of how life works. How to experience how, how the Spirit of God works in these kind of bodies, right? And he was doing some very simple things to grow, like obeying his parents. Do you think that's a type of discipleship in the Lord? Obeying your parents? If we struggle to obey our parents, do you think we'll struggle to obey God, the Father? In fact, we see further evidence of this at the wedding of Cana in Galilee when Jesus... Now he's an adult. What did he do? He submitted to his mom's request, right? His mom was trying to rescue this newly married couple from great shame when the wine had run out, trying to get Jesus to make some, some more wine. And, and you could see Jesus didn't fully want to do it. <laughs> and yet, it is his mom. And mom's asking. You can find this story in the first part of John 2. Jesus still was the son of mom, right? His mom was involved in his life. But following the narrative in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 3, we see that there finally comes this point where he makes the shift from being more a learner to more a teacher. He's, he's, there's a shift that happens in his life, right? Having spent years preparing and recognizing 
that he was moving in that direction, he finally gets to this point where he does. He's moving towards his ministry, and we see him doing what? Well, again, back in Luke 3, verse 21, we see this story. It says, when all, all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. So we see Jesus, he's following all the others to John the Baptist, his cousin. And what was John the Baptist doing? He was preparing people to be ready for the Messiah. He was preparing people to follow the Lord, right? And Jesus, what does he do? He does what they do. He gets baptized by John. And then something huge happens in his life, right? It says, as he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And just like that would be a huge moment for us, do you think that was a huge moment for Jesus? It was only after this that he began to publicly teach and he began sharing deep, deep thoughts about having meaningful relationships with God the Father, right? Where do you think he got that information about relationship with God the Father? These were undoubtedly things that he had learned from his own experience with God as he was growing in the Lord, right? That's what he's sharing. As we read about Christ's lives, we don't see this person who has been given this list of things to do and he's going out there and doing it. We see this man who's called by God, right? And because he's called by God and he's grown his relationship with the Lord, he's driven by God's love, his mercy, his compassion. We see him reaching out just like God the Father would to people who are struggling to understand how to follow God's word. He's in the same journey, right? And yet we, <laughs> we also see that he didn't set out to do this work all alone. Not only did he take time each and every day to listen to his heavenly father, to read the scriptures, but he also brought alongside of him other people who in turn were going to be trained by him who could go out with him, who were a part of his team, right? His family. People of God, as we read through the Gospels, we can be encouraged <laughs> that God does not expect us to be prepared to teach from a pulpit <laughs> the very day we're saved. God wants us to grow in him, grow in our understanding of him, he does not, on the first day that we are saved, he doesn't expect us to go serve in a ministry or mission field. He doesn't expect us to be a martyr, <laughs> right? At the very moment that we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. That's not what he does. He expects us to grow in him, to grow in our understanding of him. Jesus' life encourages us to take the time to grow and wisdom, and stature. This is as true for the child who confesses Christ as a kid as it is for an adult who comes to Christ way late in their life, right? Even for people who are Christians and they've been a Christian for a long time, we still have room to grow, don't we? 
Keep growing in the Lord. And yes, there are these important times, these moments of surrender, these, these really key moments, right? They're just a moment where God wants you to submit. God wants you to surrender something. And those are huge in our life. But also as huge in our life is the steady pattern of learning about the ways of God. Spending time with him. <laughs> Spending time with others who are trying to do the same. Right? We need this growth in knowledge of God so that we might better cooperate with him. We need to keep growing. We need to to keep going. So as we wrap up this idea of God's specific plan for our lives that includes steady growth, developing eyes to see, (laughs) developing ears to hear what he's doing, it brings me to think about a parable of Jesus that really kind of fits into this thought and maybe our growth in it. And that's the parable of the sower. Our hearts need to be ready to receive what God has for us. So as an application to this this thought process that we've kind of been wading through this morning, just allow me to read Matthew 13, this parable that Jesus teaches, starting in verse 1. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds crowds (laughs) gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. (laughs) Just that last part. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And do you hear it? Jesus goes on to explain the parable to his disciples. Skip ahead to verse 18. Jesus said, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, which is what we're talking about this morning, right? What happens? The evil one comes and snatches it away and what was, what was sown in the heart. And this is the seed sown along the path. That is an option, right? God is saying a word to us. He wants us to do something. <laughs> we don't understand it and it's gone. Right? Verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. What are we thinking there? (laughs) We're hearing the word of God, what he wants us to do. We're excited about it because he's including us in his plans, right? And then we just don't have much depth. We don't have systems in place to continue to grow in the Lord. We don't have people around us encouraging us in the faith, right? And so we quickly uh, let it go, 
right? Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. Hmm. What do you think about that one? We hear something from God, what he wants us to do, but we start worrying about other stuff, the worries of this life, wealth, <laughs> what am I going to do about retirement? I mean, all those types of really important questions, right? Those things choke out what God is calling us to do, and it makes it unfruitful. Verse 23, with the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it, and this is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So are we attempting to grow in our understanding of the Lord? Learning to, to better understand, learning to better cooperate with his plans. I mean, how important is the soil of our heart when we're trying to follow God? Not, not follow God, the list of here's some do's and don'ts, but follow God and this is the plan I have for you. How important is the soil of our hearts in understanding and following the word of God? It's huge. And how do we find our way to hearts that are good soil? Do you know? I mean, how do you make good soil when you have bad soil? Well, I, the only thing I can, that comes to mind is manure, right? <laughs> there is some of that. Digging deep, learning, growing in the Lord, staying focused on and God and his ways, rather than the worries of life. Rather than, rather than all the things on my agenda today, right? Trusting in him through it all. Even the difficulties. Finding that his ways are good. That we can trust him. It's going to be okay. <laughs> the truth is, this does not happen overnight. You don't get to have good soil in your heart overnight. This is a life of investing in our relationship with the Lord. Is that what we want? Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you that you love us, that you care about us. <laughs> and Lord, you have created us so uniquely, unbelievably unique. And you have plans for us. You tell us that. We see in Scripture over and over again that you have plans for people to be a part of huge things, important things, your things. Lord God, we want to be a part of those things. We want to follow your plan for our lives. But Lord, we know that we have to grow some ears. We know we have to grow some eyes. We know we have to better understand how you work. Better understand when you're speaking. 
Let her understand you. <laughs> Lord, would you help us with this? Would you help us to get a pattern in our life of listening to you? A pattern in our life of speaking to you? <laughs> a pattern in our life of reading your word? finding more understanding about your ways, more understanding about things that you might call us to do. But God, would you surround us with people that we can invest in and they can invest in us as we follow you together? <laughs> would you help us to grow in you? Lord God, whatever you do with us, we trust you. We trust that you will do great things through us if we will just trust you a little bit more. <laughs> Lord, we will give you the praise. You will get the glory when you do this work in our lives. And we know it's not going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> Lord, help us each and every day. Trust in you. Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close? The benediction passage is from Colossians chapter 2, where Paul says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. <laughs> Did you catch the last part? Thankfulness. That God is doing a work in our hearts. That God is doing a work in our lives. That God is using us in incredible ways in other people's lives. Right? Thankfulness. <laughs> People of God, we serve a God who has great plans for us. But we've got to continue to invest in our relationship with him. So this week, continue to live your lives in him. Trust in him. Take time to spend with him, to talk with him, to listen through his scripture, to be taught in conversation with other Christians. Let's not forget that this is a journey that we have to live day to day to day to day. And we need the encouragement of everyone in this, right? And let's also not forget <laughs> that we need to be thankful for a God who is gracious and patient and so good to us. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You are sent.